Hey guys, welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for real women, imperfect stories, and the God who's forever at work in our mess. I'm your host, Jen Jewell, and back with us today is my wise friend and co-host, Amy Groeschel. And guys, The Messy Table is partnered with our church, Life Church, and our women's ministry sisters. But wherever you are right now, somewhere in this big world, we are partnered with you too. We're all about the global capital C church, the body of Christ, and we know that above all of our differences, we who believe in Jesus are unified in Him. Whether you're joining us while you're out for a run, maybe finishing up a work project, running errands, traveling the world, or changing diapers and refilling sippy cups, we hope that this will be a place of refreshment, encouragement, and a spark of hope in your day. After all, the table is a place where we can come together just as we are to share the good stuff and the hard stuff. It's where dishes are clanking and kids are squealing and rich conversation is in process, just as we all are. And I can't think of anyone better to offer some nuggets of truth for us today than powerhouse Lisa Bevere. Lisa's a mom of four grown boys and a grandmother, but not your average grandma. She's the co-founder of a global ministry with her husband John called Messenger International, plus a cancer survivor, New York Times bestselling author, speaker, truth teller, Jesus follower, and definitely no stranger to a messy table. Y'all, we're going to be giving away two copies of her latest book titled Adamant, Finding Truth in a Universe of Opinions. We'll have more details on that for you towards the end of this conversation. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says this, Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it'll collapse in a heap of ruins. I don't know about you, but I want to stand on the rock of the ages, who's bigger and beyond this realm of time and circumstance as we currently know it. Y'all, we're talking about all this and much more on today's episode. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join us at the messy table. Well, Lisa, Amy, and I are just thrilled to have you here. So welcome to The Messy Table. How could I resist something called The Messy Table? It just sounds like my real world. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I just am so thankful for who you are, for your you and your husband, John, and your ministry, the things that you do together, the things you do as individuals, and your messenger international ministry. You've truly just taken the gifts God has given you, and they have flourished and built up the church so well. But I just want to say, gosh... Knowing you personally and experiencing just your heart, you're you're so genuine and you're so passionate, but we just love who you and John are. You are sold out for Jesus, lovers of Jesus, and you're lovers of people and lovers of the whole global church in such a dynamic way. And I just, I celebrate you guys. I'm thankful for you and um, thankful for friendship with you. Oh, thanks, Amy. We feel the same way about you and Craig. I am a better person for knowing both you and Craig and what you guys have modeled as family and church. It's just, it's so stunning. I know our entire team listens to you guys and leans into you and feels so enriched to do everything we're called to do because of you doing what you're called to do. Oh, that's very meaningful to me as well. And uh, wow, it's the body of Christ, isn't it? Building each other up. I also love that you're just so genuine and real and you're a truth teller, but always in love and you just dive in wherever you are. I actually remember I was at a Propel event, maybe the first year that Chris Kane started Propel. It was in Tulsa and your flight was ridiculously delayed. And so I think you were supposed to go first and you ended up speaking last, (laughs) Um, but you just came running in there with guns a blazing, ready to share the word of God. And I love how you just kind of roll with the messiness of life and that fits right here on the podcast. So hey, I'm a mom of four boys. And so if I didn't roll with messiness, I wasn't going to roll at all. <laughs> you were going to live. Yeah. <laughs> there will be no rolling in there that case. No rolling. <laughs> well, on the off chance that someone listening doesn't know anything about you, will you just introduce yourself, your family, your ministry, and give us a little peek into your life and what you're all about? Absolutely. Well, John and I have been married for 36 years. Recently, I said 32, but it's really 36 years. (laughs) And we have been doing ministry together because we wanted to do it together from the very beginning. And I'm just going to say it's messy together. It's easier separate, but we wanted to grow into that. And so 
we we actually pioneered an organization whose whole goal is to teach, reach, and rescue through making disciples of Jesus Christ. Because we don't believe we're supposed to just make converts. We're supposed to make disciples. And it's called Messenger International. Our goal is that every single year we'll give away more books than we sell. Mm. So we have given away 17 million individual resources in 106 languages in 97 nations. It's amazing. Like we have, well, I have, maybe you guys don't, I have more books than I can read that are Christian books that are beautiful, amazing books, but people in other nations don't have those things. And so Mm -hmm. we teach, we reach, we rescue, and that's kind of our goal. And John and I do it together. We believe that the church needs both the voice of a father and a voice of a mother, and we need voices of sons and daughters. And so Mm. we're raising up our sons right now, which is really fun and also messy. We're bringing them alongside and our beautiful daughter-in-law, and we're hoping for more Mm daughter-in-laws to come alongside. (laughs) I'm like, at the one. And uh, just watching God take it from a empire to a kingdom dynamic. And it's just, it's really exciting. It's, it's exciting and it's challenging. And I do write books to that end, do travel and speak to women, been doing it for almost 30 years. Mm. And I just love what I see happening. Wow. And mm. you've stewarded the ministry so well in that you haven't lost any passion. It's like you're more on fire today than you probably were when you began. And I love that. The the zeal and the passion of the Lord is just consuming all that you do. It's fabulous. Amen. All right. Well, I'm a mom. I have two kids, six and nine, and you have four passionate, handsome, godly men who are now, are they all adults? I believe they are, right? They range from 23 to 32. Okay, so would you just please share your secrets with us? (laughs) Yes. Okay, well, the first secret that John and I have was we are really good repenters and apologizers. We We have amazing children and we're ridiculous. I mean, we were making it up as we went along. So the firstborn was tortured the most. I mean, everything was evil. Everything was wrong. John, I mean, like, you know, was like, no, you could never watch a Disney movie. I mean, we were so (laughs) ridiculous with our first one. And then we kind of were like, okay, maybe we need to actually sort through some things with love and logic. And, and so we, we kind of were like people that were like, Hey, mom and dad, remember how we, we yelled when we shouldn't have? Well, we're sorry. And being consistent with our kids, I think Mm -hmm. was the hugest thing. You know, children, uh, they want to find out what their boundaries are. I remember early on, you know, John was traveling and speaking. I was home with four boys and he would like call and the boys would be having chaos in the background. I'd start yelling, I'm going to spank all of you when I get off this phone. And John would be like, wait, wait, are you really going to do that? I was like, no, no, I'm not. I said, then you just lie to our children. So he said, you either need to say, I'm sorry for lying or you have to spank all of them. And so he said, you need to stop having overreactions. And so I had to sit down with my boys. And I remember this was a real turning point. Didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I realized it was. And I said, hey, you know how mommy's been crazy? Mommy's been yelling. Mommy's like nursing one baby and, you know, pinching another child, like, stop it, stop it, or yelling through the ceilings. And they're like, yes. And I said, I'm not doing that anymore. And they were like, thank God, thank God. (laughs) And I said, I'm going to say it one time. And obedience is going to be right away, all the way, and in a happy way. And I remember at the time thinking in my mind, this is not going to work. I'm going to be right back into the crazy world in 24 hours. And so I modeled it for them. And I said, hey, if I come into your room and I say, you need to pick up your room and you're thinking in your head, sure, I'll do that after I watch another silly song on VeggieTales. You know, then I come back in and you haven't done anything. What is mommy going to think? Does mommy think you're being obedient or does mommy think you're disobedient? And they're like, disobedient. So you got, if it's not going to be right away, we have have to have a talk about when it's going to happen. And and it was really interesting. I just kind of mapped it out and was consistent Mm. and stopped doing it in my own strength, stopped reacting to what I think I didn't have. Oh, my husband's not here. We're, you know, I'm trapped in a house with young children. And I started to be thankful for my situation. Mm. I started taking over the atmosphere of my house with worship music. My boys still make fun of me. (laughs) Um, I, I, they said that they would just see me on my knees on the floor singing. And I said, well, that was to prevent me from beating you guys that you needed to be happy about that. But just really worshiping God, leaning in, understanding that there was a reason to be slow to speak, quick to listen and slow to wrath. 
and mm-hmm. throwing away the list of every single night as a mom, I hadn't done things right and waking up every morning feeling the guilt of the day before mm-hmm. I had to let go of that mm-hmm. and uh, give some mom mercy to myself. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was fun. And I'll just say my one regret, because this is something I'm I can't go back and change. I just wish I would have enjoyed my children more. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like I, I was a great disciplinarian, but I wish I would have gotten down on the floor and played with them more. Mm. And now I'm doing that. You know, we're, we're Italian, so our boys are still in our house. But, you know, they're they're rough on me. I try to play with them now and they hurt me. <laughs> they uh-huh. sit on me. They throw me. They wrestle me. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm a grandma now. You don't do that to me. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's family is my funnest thing. Mm. And uh Somebody asked my son, Alec, why are all four of you like you're all love God, want to work with your parents? And he he thought about it for a while. And he said, our parents spanked us, but not in anger. And they played cards with us. And oh, it was gosh. true. We, we, <laughs> oh, we that's ate. a sweet answer. Yeah, we played. And when there was a problem, we disciplined, but we didn't, you know, we didn't abuse and there wasn't emotional hostage taking. It was just like, hey, this is not acceptable. I think that's a good reminder, though, to enjoy them, play with them, have fun with them, because so often as parents, we feel the intensity of I got to get this right. I I can't mess up my kids whenever really we need to let go of so much more and realize I'm not God. And I think they love our vulnerability, you know, being vulnerable with your kids and saying, you know, hey, guys, um, Dan and I are kind of making this up as we go along. So we're first generation Christians. We we want to do everything right. And we realize now we were kind of intense those first five years. Uh, but the core of our family, these are our core virtues of our family. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about how we want those things to act out. And yeah, so that there was a why and not just don't, don't, don't. Mm. Yeah, I remember actually my dad saying, and we had a we had a good relationship even when I was a teenager. But I remember us having a disagreement one time, and him saying, "You know, this is the first time I've had a teenager too, because I'm the oldest." Yes. And, <laughs> and I appreciated it honestly. So you know, I did that with my oldest son. I just said, "You need to help me." Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're reacting to things that last year you did not react to, so you're catching <laughs> me off guard. I need you to help me on some stuff because I feel like I'm messing up here, and and it was really good. And then, you know, another thing that was a real challenge for me, because John was traveling and we felt like that was that was God's grace on his life. That was God's mandate on his life. But as my boys got older, they, you know, they wanted a dad to talk to them. Mm. And I, you know, I was like, well, I'm not a dad. You know, what can I do here? And I really leaned into God. It really was bothering me. And I I called one of our board members and I said, hey, you know, Addison wants a father to talk to and John's not here. And I don't know what to do with this. And he said, well, you know, let's make intentional times for him to talk to John on the phone. You know, when the brothers aren't all around, let's make sure he gets time. But then he said, you also need to say to him that he's going to be processing something with a woman for the rest of his life. Mm. And he's going to be way (laughs) ahead of the game with his wife. Ah. And you know what? It worked. He just kind of looked at me and he was like, okay. And he's married. And my daughter-in-law says he is the best husband. She said, I am. He's so nurturing and so kind and so thoughtful. And I'm like, well, that was all an accident. But I'm really glad to hear that. (laughs) That's so encouraging. Lisa, I love all these examples you're sharing. This is really rich wisdom that comes from our failures, comes from our mess. And let's do shift gears into a little bit of what Messy Tables, really the heartbeat of our podcast is about based out of uh, Revelation 12, 11, when it says that we are overcomers, we triumph mm-hmm. by the blood of Jesus and the words of our testimony, the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of our story in him. And we think that part of that is that every testimony has a mess. And we just want to hear maybe some messy, incredible stories that God has met you in the middle of and just how you were overcoming in it. Well, you know, it's interesting in in this book, Adamant, I was able to kind of talk a a little bit about the brokenness I had with my mother. And I didn't dishonor her in the book, but I I just didn't want to write about it while she was still alive. Right. And here was the thing. Um, I think there's a generation of mothers that didn't get what they needed from their mothers. Right. And their mothers didn't get what they needed from their mothers. So true. And so what happens is there's this legacy of brokenness. Mm-hmm. And so I found myself pregnant with my fourth son, but not knowing it was a son yet, terrified, 
absolutely terrified that I would have a girl. And it wasn't that I didn't love girls. It wasn't that I didn't value women. I did. I valued them so much. I worried I didn't have what I needed. And so I remember I was weeping and crying and pregnant and said, God, I just, I don't have it. I can do boy. I can't do girl. I cannot do girl. God, you know, I can't do girl. I don't want the daughter like me. I don't want the bad girl. I don't know what Mm. to do with that. And I was in a time of deep prayer. And it was like across the screen of my mind, I saw this beautiful golden field and out in front of it was this tower in the distance. And I thought, I need to go to that tower. And so I went to this tower and climbed at the top and there was a treasure chest on the top floor of the tower. And I thought it's going to be weapons or it's going to be jewels. But when I opened it up, it was neither. It was photos of me. And all of the photos of me as a child had been lost in a flood. Mm. I had totally forgot any images of me smiling, any images of happiness, any images of joy. Mm. And it was so crazy. In mind's eyes, I was, I saw this picture and I picked it up. I'm missing my front teeth and my face is full of sunshine. And I heard, I always thought you were funny. <laughs> and I can't even tell you what that did for me. Mm. See, I grew up in an alcoholic household Mm. and my mother was, um, she had BPD. So she lived with an alcoholic adulterer up and down emotional trauma, didn't know what she was going to encounter every single day. And I would come in and I would try to dismantle the tension with humor. So the fact that like Mm. Jesus saw that Mm. failed attempt. My mother would get so angry at me and she would get physically abusive when I was little. And he would speak to that very broken place. Mm. Even when he didn't have to, I was going to have a little boy. I wasn't going to have a girl. And so I love that God will take that mess. And he said, I'm going to have to have you have healing when it comes to women, Mm -hmm. because I had been hurt by men but wounded by women because he knew even though I wasn't carrying a daughter, I would be speaking to women. And so he said, I can't have you minister out of this place of bitterness. Mm -hmm. I want to have this falling on a rock and brokenness so I can heal you. And I I just love our God, how he will go after those places of shadow in our life and shine his light and speak to what he would say in that situation. And for me, that was so healing. I don't think I would ever minister to women if that had not happened. Do you think that is when your your ministry took off towards women? Absolutely. Um, I know that and I had would have been like 30 four at the time Mm. and I'm 58 now. So that shifted my perspective and it really made me realize that God is concerned about the most intimate details of our life and that he doesn't call us girl or boy. Mm. He calls us son and daughter. Right. And that son and daughter goes deeper than gender. It's how we're related to him. And so, you know, I feel like I needed to have him speak to me because I, I said to him, I don't like women. I don't trust women. And he said, I love women. Mm. He said, I created woman as to be the answer to the very first problem. Mm. And that was, it is not good for man to be alone. Mm -hmm. Tell my daughters their answers, not problems. And so he had to actually speak that first into my soul. Lisa, you're an answer. Lisa, I love your personality. Lisa, I saw your heart behind that. Lisa, I didn't reject you. Because so many times we have the wrong imagery attached to the wrong moments of our life. And God is always speaking to who we're becoming, not who we've been. And the enemy is always speaking about who we've been. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was a real turning point for me. The fact that God... This sounds silly, but that he had a treasure chest of moments that made him smile from my childhood. Mm. That was so intimate for me. It just, I don't know, it wove something deep, deep into the fiber of my being. Such a powerful story. And I love that you shared it. I've read this in your book, and I'm glad this is what you chose to share because in all of our lives, whether it's in childhood or whatever stage of life, there has been stories of brokenness and, and pain, our own personal weaknesses that we deal with and the insecurities. And look at how time and time again, like your example, where God takes the broken things, the weak things, and with his power, and when we surrender and give those things over and his just coming in and intervening 
meaning and how he doesn't just bring healing and wholeness, but then it becomes an opportunity to shine a light to others and be a testimony and a witness of encouragement to others. And the platform he's given you to do this is tremendous. And so I think that's so beautiful. And I also want to say, like, I don't know if this sounds silly or if you guys would agree and have thought of it, but I feel like the father always sees us like we were as little ones. Yes. It's not that he doesn't see us older. I mean, because he's infinite. I think that he loves us and knows us as that little one because we, we're going to enter into the, the kingdom like little children, right? So <laughs> I just had to throw that out there. See what you think. No, I'm glad you said that because I feel like when he talks to me, he talks to me as a, as a girl. And yeah. I don't think it's an immaturity thing. Right. I think it's a child thing. It, you know, it's like he evokes the childlikeness. I mean, seriously, I often feel like he speaks to me and says, baby girl, mm-hmm. not like in diapers. Right. <laughs> you know, but I mean, like an endearment. Yes. And, you know, some of us had to grow up too fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes he takes us back to that place where the freedom needed to happen. And Mm. so for me, you know, I don't know if it was because I lost an eye when I was five. I don't know what it was, but I feel like he always speaks to this beautiful time period of innocence and freedom in my life. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear, like you just mentioned, I know you lost an eye when you were five. Was that Mm -hmm. to cancer? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I had retinoblastoma. Yeah. And you've just faced a lot of hard things in your life, but God is a God that redeems and restores. And so I'd love to hear just how he has done that in your life. Well, it's, it's funny. I, I recently, I don't know if you guys have ever taken an Enneagram test, but I recently took my Enneagram and I am. (laughs) Yeah. What are you? I am a seven, eight wing and basically sevens from what I understand are ridiculous people unless they go through (laughs) hardship. So I was like, okay, (laughs) thanks for for the hardship because that, that cut back on my ridiculousness. Um, so yeah, so here's the thing, you know, I actually have learned to be thankful for every broken place in my life. Mm -hmm. I have learned to be thankful for every hardship in my life because all it did was serve to prepare me for another dimension in God. It caused me to lean into him. Mm. I'm very convinced that there is an anointing on my life, not on my strengths, but on my weaknesses. And so the things that I never wanted to do type, speak publicly, the two <laughs> things. I was like, I will never do these things. I'm one-eyed. I'm handicapped. People make fun of me. They call me Cyclops. All I want to do is hide. Oh, you are gorgeous. Well, Don't even go there. But no, no, no. <laughs> you guys, if I showed you pictures of who I was in high school, that thing weighed on me so much that I think when we are self-conscious, we put our wounds to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And so that was that would have been what you would have seen. You don't see that now because I have to remind myself that I have it Mm. because I feel like I really am who I am in Christ, not who I am in my body. But that was that was such a um, emphasis. I felt so awkward. I felt so uncomfortable. I I was that's all I said. That's Mm. all I declared to everybody. And um, so, yeah, so this this thing that I never wanted ended up being the connection for other people. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw in the book, but I went to Iraq and I, you know, was there. I wanted to see what preemptive love was doing. And I noticed this one little girl off in the corner while all mm-hmm. the other girls were surrounding Jessica. And I thought, wait a minute, that little girl looks like she's the same age as my granddaughter, Sophia. Why is she by herself? Mm-hmm. Now, her father had been killed like by ISIS, like all the other girls. But, you know, she was alone and isolated and her head was down. And I said, Jessica, what's her story? And they said, oh, she lost an eye to a cancer tumor two years ago. Oh, and wow. they said she has she has an adult prosthetic eye wow. and it's covered in dirt and she can't close her eyes. Mm. And they didn't even know I had lost an eye. I said, you bring that baby girl over to me right now. And I sat her on my lap. Her name was Sarah. And I said, Sarah, I'm going to show you pictures of my family. Mm. And I said, Sarah, you can be loved. You can be married. Sarah, you can be whatever God tells you he wants you to be. Mm, and she beautiful. looked at me and, and she didn't believe me. So I closed my eyes and she touched, touched my fake eye and it was, she could feel it was hard plastic. And so I came back to the U.S. Wow. And I got her 
child size prosthetic eyes. It just so happened the Oculus who oh, makes my fake sad. eyes was able to get them for her. So <sighs> we we got them in touch. We we made connections with Jessica while she was here. We sent it back to Sarah. We sent Lizzie the Lioness books out, and then we moved Sarah and mm. all of her friends into another settlement where they could go to school. And oh, so gosh. I just believe that God uses our vulnerabilities so that we can lead people with our strengths. When people mm. know that you know where they're at, when, when young moms understand that the way my world looks now is not the way my world looked then, That's right. then they understand, hey, wait, I'm not isolated. Mm-hmm. I'm not alone. I'm not missing out on something. I think it's really difficult now because... I mean, I, I want to be neat, but I'm not. I, I don't know how I make messes so fast. I'm not <laughs> dirty, but I'm messy. But, you know, if I even try to take a selfie in my house, I look what's in the background. I'm like, Lord Jesus, you know, and everybody else has this <laughs> perfect house. And so I feel like I actually kind of on purpose will highlight my ridiculous. But I do think there's a lot of moms that feel like they're failing every single day. You know, the perfect meals, the perfect layout. And there's a whole lot more laughter at a messy table than there is a perfect right. set one. You're giving us so much hope. Well, and I, I love that you're letting me visit different seasons in my life. So Lisa, you've written several life-changing books. You just wrote a new book called Adamant, Finding Truth in a Universe of Opinions. We're actually going to give away several copies of your book. Details to enter will be at the end of this episode, but will you share with us what is this book about and what compelled you to write it? Yeah, well, I'm going to do the what compelled me to write it first. So here's the thing. I cannot believe where we are right now. It's like up is down, right is wrong, left is right, red is blue. Everything that used to be kind of just like, hey, this is a conviction. This is a core. This is a foundational truth has been brought into question. And I'm going to be the first to say, yes, there needed to be change and growth and opportunity and the church not just being known for what she's against, but being known for what she's for. But I felt like we are coming into a time period where people believe that truth is a river, that it changes as we go. But truth is not a river. Truth is a rock. Amen. And truth is not a what. Truth is a who. And so, you know, I already kind of have alluded that I'm a little bit of a Enneagram 7, ENFP. That means I'm a that means I'm a nerve ending. That means I want everybody right, everybody to win. I'm gonna pass monopoly money under the table to my boys when they were young. I, I didn't like somebody losing. So I actually will end up writing the books I need to read. And so I say, all right, what is truth? What is going on in this universe of opinions? Why are we slipping and sliding? And what do I want to mark as a pathway for my children and my grandchildren? Lisa, what do you believe and why do you believe it? And so that was kind of the impetus of, I have to be honest with you, the shock of some things I was hearing in green rooms. Hmm. I was like, wait a minute, wait, are we not, are we all on the same page? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is the Bible the word of God? Because I'm getting confused here. Because if it isn't, and if Jesus is not everything he says he is, then we're in trouble. If Jesus is just the best way or our favorite way, then we're in trouble Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. he said, I am the way, not not one of many. I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And he also said, no one comes to the father except by me. I also felt like there was a lot of, oh, we don't condemn you. But there was a a lack of the second part of Jesus's sentence, go and sin no more. Mm -hmm. And I was like, where where are we going with this? Because we've had the go and sin no more for a long time. And then it was it just was harsh without the empowerment. But then now we've just got the I don't condemn you. And we've got to merge those two. So we have both truth and grace and truth and love. And so I was hearing the truth without love, which is harsh, Mm -hmm. and love without truth, which is a lie. And I found myself very, very troubled. So that was my motivation. And then Mm -hmm. this whole idea of adamant was um, actually inspired by a word that was given to me in 2005 where God said I was as adamant. And I have to be honest with you, I was kind of hurt by that. I was like, I'm your stubborn, I'm your unyielding. Like, I don't, that doesn't sound very feminine or nice or friendly. Again, Enneagram 7, I'm like, I don't like that. So I, I began to discover that there was an association between the word diamond and adamant. And um, 
I was at a conference in 2016 where everybody was calling themselves diamonds. I think I had just come back from some pretty rough trips. And I was like, there's refugees, there's sex trafficking, there's gender side, there's misogyny. And we're twirling around calling ourselves diamonds. We need to get a reality check. Mm -hmm. And so I was back in my hotel room because I was getting ready to minister. I was like, Jesus, I need I need an attitude check right now. I need you to help me. I need you to help me not be angry. And he was like, you used to love it when I called you my adamant, my diamond. And then I remember I called my sons. I was like, there is a box on top of my desk. Can you read that to me? And then I realized that it was actually for now because Mm -hmm. adamant actually means invincible. It doesn't mean stubborn. And long before it was an adjective or an adverb, it was a noun. Mm -hmm. It was this idea that the Greek poets, philosophers, scientists had, they made up a stone, kind of like the philosopher's stone and the alchemist stone and and the King Arthur stone. They had this stone called the adamant stone. And it was a stone that was impervious to heat. You could put it in fire, grab it out. It'd be cool to the touch. It'd be magnetic where it would draw, but not be drawn. It would be the stone woven so tightly that all inferior metals or stone would fragment under its impact. It would also be able to capture light and redirect it. And I thought, wait a minute. Mm. They seem to be describing the cornerstone that we see in Daniel 2. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You saw a stone not made with hands. And then that stone hits the images of all the man-made kingdoms. Then we know the stone becomes a mountain and the mountain fills the earth, which is Zion. And I was like, oh, my gosh. God is that invincible stone. Mm. And Jesus is that invincible cornerstone of the church. And so I just went after this concept of really telling the story from a different perspective. Mm. Man. Yeah, it's powerful. And I've began to read it and it's captured my heart in a way that I just didn't even expect. Thanks, Amy. Just highlighting this quality of God, but then it is the cornerstone quality of all the other qualities of God, his immutability, his unchangingness. And mm-hmm. and so it's it's a fabulous book and it's got a you know the fabulous truth that Jesus is our rock. As you go through every chapter, it just nails down that there isn't any other way and that mm-hmm. and how beautiful that we are living stones along with him. I love it. Thank you. Mm. Well, I think we're all telling this beautiful story, however it can be heard in this moment. And I feel like we've got, um, we've got an opportunity and a window. I do believe that the millennials really want to hear truth, but they don't want truth without love. Right. And so there needs to be this ability to actually talk about this God who is invincible in love. And yet he's also invincible in holiness. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I love the idea that as I delved into the study of holiness, that holiness actually means wholeness, that God is holy because he wants us whole. It isn't like he's trying to take something away from us. He's actually speaking things into us so that we can become everything he created us to be. Mm -hmm. And I just love that concept. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to zoom in on this topic of truth. So some people say, I have my truth and you have your truth and we're all good. But as Christians, like you said, we believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, the life. Mm-hmm. You know, in John 18, Jesus explained his reason for coming into this world, which is to testify to the truth. And Pilate responded with the infamous question, what is truth? A question still haunting really this generation today. So we believe Jesus to be the anchor, the cornerstone, the rock, the adamant, yet many people doubt this foundation. And it's often seen honestly as arrogant or intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way and different beliefs, different religions, that's not the way. So especially in regards to faith, how do we stand our ground while lovingly engaging in discussions where people might disagree? Well, I I love that. I love and hate that you brought this up. (laughs) So so I think one of the most important things is for people to be heard. So we can hear them, but we got to stop being silent because when we don't speak, it sounds like endorsement. So we need to risk uh, people getting angry that we have an opinion. But here's the truth. We actually have chosen to submit our lives to the word of God. And we believe that the word of God is truth, you know, and we believe that Jesus is the word of God made flesh. So everything he did was an action of truth. And so because we believe that, we can't question what he says. And so just like they have their true 
well, and, and there's, it's really a, a wrong statement. So there's things that are true of me. Like right now, it's true of me that I have four grandkids. Mm -hmm. What I want to be true of me in like four years is that I have 10. So <laughs> it could be that in four years I have 10. Now I need boys to get married first, but that would be the true of, not the truth. Because if it's truth, it doesn't change. But true mm -hmm. of changes with seasons, changes of, with feelings. And so what's happened is we have people forming their truth by experiences mm -hmm. and opinions. Whereas we have chosen to form our truth from the word of God. So the word of God forms our convictions, our core values, and then our core values form our opinions. Mm -hmm. But our mm -hmm. culture right now has their opinions forming their core values. And so that means it's going to change all of the time. It means that, you know, there's things that I believed when I was going through menopause that I don't believe right now. There's you know, like, you know, like my husband is a difficult person. And I'm like, actually, he's wonderful. I don't know why I thought he was so difficult when I was going through menopause. But that was true of me in that moment. You know, uh, what was true of me was I would have five hot flashes an hour. That's not true of me right now. And so our circumstances change. Mm -hmm. Our feelings about something can take us hostage. I've learned not to trust my feelings. You know, they'll lie to me. And so I have to have the anchor of God's word. And it isn't that I am actually trying to demean anybody else who disagrees with me, but I want them to actually hear what we're saying. I mean, right. that Jesus came to bear witness of the truth. Well, what are we supposed to do? We're mm -hmm. supposed to do the same thing. That's a good point that this isn't you need to believe exactly what we do or we'll hate you. Of course not. But we do have to come to a place where we're saying, I'm going to stand on God's promises and lovingly invite you and even plead with you to consider Jesus, not some mythological creature, but a real historical figure who split time in two and offers us this undeserved salvation by grace through faith. And then people might choose to disagree with us and we can still love them and they're welcome at my house, around my table, but that doesn't mean that we're going to change what we believe. Yeah. And, you know, Christianity is the only religion that you don't have to earn your way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so, I mean, Jesus invites all to come. He, he invites all to come. I mean, in Matthew 7, he says, enter by the narrow gate. So he's like, I'll even tell you which gate to go in. For the gate mm -hmm. is wide and the way <laughs> is great. easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So wait, there we go. So what is that saying? It's saying there's many that are going to, to go into the easy gate. And then he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those mm -hmm. who find it are few. So I don't know where we got this idea that Christianity was going to be popular. Right. Because we have actually been promised persecution, not popularity. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is that narrow gate that leads to life. The way is certain, but it's not easy. And mm -hmm. it has been argued that a loving God would include everyone, but he does. He invites That's all right. to come. He's like, hey, everybody come. Hey, don't take the door on the right. Take the door on the left. Do this door. I mean, he right. doesn't. He isn't saying, come if you're good enough. Mm -hmm. Come if you've self-actualized. He doesn't even say, come if you are perfect or believe in everything I say. He says, come. I challenge you to walk with me. I challenge mm -hmm. you to move with my rhythms of grace. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. If I call him Lord then I submit my thought processes to his because he has promised me that my crazy thoughts are not his thoughts and my crazy ways are not his ways, that his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher. And he says, you can think my thoughts and that's his word. Mm -hmm. And so I love that when God, and when I got born again, he didn't just leave me there. He transformed me. I was looking for the same thing. Mm -hmm. What I didn't find in promiscuity, what I didn't find in alcohol, what I didn't find in things, I found in him. Mm -hmm. I found in him who is the truth. And, you know, not be shy about that. And it really begs the question, is there something such as absolute truth? Like, say, to the atheist or the agnostic, is there absolute truth? And I always think about in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about something that drove him nuts when he was an atheist. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fascinating. He talked about how when people argue or fight, maybe a married couple or friends, he always noticed that the person who had been wronged was always appealing to some kind of standard of behavior that they expected the other person 
person to know something about. Mm. They might say things like, this isn't fair, or I deserve better. And this appeal to absolute truth stumped Lewis. Like, why is there an invisible moral standard Mm. in place that all people seem to intrinsically be aware of? And so I would just challenge the person who's maybe even questioning, well, how can we even know if there is an absolute truth just to look around at the world and notice that something is obviously going on and then go from there. I just wanted to add, again, like Lisa shared, truth and love. And when we come with a humble stance and realize that it was our brokenness, that we didn't make a way, but Christ made the way and that he is who he says he is, the the way, the truth and the life. We stand on that. It is the anchor. It is the rock. And so when we do preach Christ crucified, like Paul said, it will be a stumbling block. It will sound like foolishness and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It will bring persecution. It will bring unpopularity. Those are okay, but we can still walk in love. It doesn't mean we have to be hard headed bigots. We can still walk in love. We can still walk in grace and humility and just love people where they are, but show them Jesus because they um, have an opportunity to know the way, to know the truth, just like we have. And so not to get so worried about offending everybody. I just think the Lord can take care of that. You know, I love that you said that because I've talked to my team and I said, we all have to be very careful not to get trapped in the small questions when we have the big answer. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is the big answer. Wow, and great. so when people are like, what do you think about this? I'm always like, you know what? I want to talk to you about the big answer, not about my opinion. I love that example from C.S. Lewis. And it was interesting. I was invited to be on a Me Too panel. And when I was studying, do you know the very reason for God's throne was justice? He says, mm, wow. your throne, O Lord, is for justice. So we are woven for justice. And so there is a world out there that is mistaking vengeance for justice. Mm. And God says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. So here's justice. And so we, we want to be just people. And, but then it's interesting. It also warns against bribes and it says, thou shall not take a bride because a bribe will pervert the eyes of the righteous and it will blind them and they won't be able to execute justice. Mm. You'll treat Mm -hmm. the refugee, the alien, the widow, the orphan, the poor, you'll treat them fairly because if you take a bribe, you won't. So it's like a very interesting weaving. So everything that our culture is kind of attaching, because I've noticed, and maybe you guys have noticed, it isn't just that we're religious, ignorant people. Some now Christians are now haters, and we're also racist somehow, even though that Christianity was always at the forefront of every movement of anti-racism. And so, you know, I'm like, wait, when did this happen? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of lumping together and we need to step back and say, what's really going on here? Uh, It's a divisive spirit where it wants to blame the men, all men, all men are bad, all men. And and then, you know, just this whole thing, let's divide our nation about who you voted for. Let's divide the races. Mm -hmm. Let's divide everything. But truth is a unifying thing. And God has this way. You know, I know about me, you know, let's say, let's say I'm in a fight with my husband, which doesn't happen as much since I'm not in menopause. But let's (laughs) say I was in a fight with my husband. (laughs) It's a real thing. And I go before God. And I'm like, hey, you saw, you heard, I know you're mad at him. You know what? He never, he never sides with me or John. He always sides with truth. And truth is a unifier and truth is a foundational thing. And Jesus is truth. He doesn't think truth. He doesn't have truth. He is truth. And so when I have Mm -hmm. an encounter with Jesus, I have an encounter with truth. And when I have an encounter with truth, I have a choice. Am I going to embrace it and let it have its way in my life or am I going to go my own way? And so I think right now we have a generation that is trying to find out what does truth look like? Truth looks like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so we have to lean into the spirit of God and and allow him to help us execute truth and love together because we can't do it separately. I think that's a great point because we all, like you're saying, we have to personally seek truth. Don't just take our word for it. Don't take Lisa's word for it. Don't take Amy's word, but let's seek 
truth together. And it makes me think of we had a guy who came to our church who was an atheist, and he only came out of respect for his mom, who would not stop inviting him. Uh, So he came, but he immediately found my husband, who's the campus pastor at our particular Life Church location. And he said, hey, listen, I just want you to know I'm an atheist. Almost like (laughs) if you need me to leave, I understand. And my husband said, I'll tell you what. How about you just keep showing up, keep drinking our free coffee, and let's both seek truth together. And really, if we come to the table with that mindset, let's both seek truth together. I love that. Mm-hmm. God's word is going to stand. Mm-hmm. It's not going to fall. Because we don't we don't have to. I, and I love what you said earlier. We don't have to defend this. We just have to witness it. Yes. We don't have to force it on people. We have to live it. And I think because the church hasn't lived the truth and love, they haven't heard us. Yeah. And so... When I wrote Adamant, I didn't write it for, oh, those people outside of the church doing bad things. <laughs> I, I expect people that are not in the church to not know better. Right. Or, you know, I yeah. expect them. But what I'm concerned we about. We need to hear it. I yes, need to exa- hear it. I, yes. need, I need to deal with my own shadow realms and my own heart. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to make sure I was in the rock. Yeah. Not salvation wise, but I mean, I just wanted to make sure, do I know? Mm-hmm. And am I living according to I know? Because people are watching for me to actually live out the transformation that I said I've had. Mm. And And I don't want to live out less than what Jesus died for me to have. Yes. Mm, That's a good point. And I love that you pointed out that truth is unifying. Jesus is unifying. We think of it as exclusive and divisive, but I just have to celebrate. And I was getting all excited, kind of, you know, waving my arms when you talked about it being unifying, because I'm thinking, yes, in Christ, there is no male or female, Greek or Jew or slave or free. And what a unifying statement. It's so beautiful, the unification of Jesus, the truth, who sees us just as his children. So that's powerful, and I'm celebrating the unity of Jesus, the truth. He's the one that draws, as we proclaim truth, he draws all men to himself with his great love. So, And it was his last prayer, you know, John 17, the prayer that he prayed in front of everybody, that they would be one. Yes. And then he said, Father, even as we are one. And then he said, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Yes. And mm-hmm. so we can't actually have unity around a lie. Amen. We have to have unity around truth, mm-hmm. which means, hey, there's going to be there's things I read in the Bible I don't like. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I, you know, I'm like, what do you mean? Bless those that curse me. I don't like that. You know, what does exactly. it mean to do good to people <laughs> who despitefully use and abuse me? Wait, I no. What do you mean? Turn the other cheek. All of these things. And that's why we have to renew our minds. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I think that it just because we don't like it doesn't mean it's not truth. Mm-hmm. And we have also done the the terrible disservice of imagining we have an angry God in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and then a nice Jesus that changed his mind about us. And mm-hmm. God was the one who sent Jesus because he had everlasting love for us. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things that was really challenging for, for me when I wrote this book was I found out that this God who is adamant and invincible in love is also adamant and hate. And that really, that really set me back on my heels. And I mm-hmm. said, God, how can a God who is love hate? I, I need you to help me with that. He just was so precious with me. He said, I hate what unmakes love. Mm-hmm. And I hate what unmakes those I love. And you notice I'm using the word what. It's not a who. Mm-hmm. What God hates is always about protecting who he loves. So he he hates He hates sex trafficking. We all hate sex trafficking, but he also hates porn. Mm -hmm. He also hates those little iffy things on Netflix. He cannot have us be entertained Mm -hmm. by the shadow when he hates the substance. Mm -hmm. I think I actually heard you saying on something else talking about marriage, you know, I love my husband. He loves me so much that we are going to hate adultery. Not that I hate another person. I don't hate another person. But if it's going to come between my husband and I, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to hate that. And so God loves so much that wrath is almost a part of, you know, we love our kids so much that if someone hurt them, we would feel wrath. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a very similar situation. Absolutely hates pride. Why does God hate pride? Mm -hmm. Not because, oh, I just hate it when people are proud. No, he knows that pride separates us from him. Mm -hmm. You know, where he says, I give grace to the humble and I resist the proud. And so God's like, I don't want to have you in a position where I have to put you arm's length until you cry out to me. So, so he hates that. And so we, we need to love 
what God loves and hate what God hates. That's right. It's, mm-hmm. it, God loves everyone, so he can't love everything. That's right. So good. Lisa, thank you. This has been all so encouraging, inspiring, and faith-building. I'd love just a final word of encouragement. What advice or encouragement would you want to give to our listeners that you just really think they need to know? Uh, You know, I really feel there's more people out there watching and waiting for you to have a conversation with them. I think there's people that would love to actually, you know, just you invite them into your home and say, wow, what do you think is going on right now? What, what are you seeing and what are you thinking about some stuff? You know, John's sister, Mary, came and stayed in our house for a while and uh, I was writing the book and she's always been extremely liberal. I mean, just thinks we're crazy, crazy Christians, <laughs> very extreme. And yet she had never visited us in our home. And when she came into our home and she saw the love and she saw the laughter and she saw the messiness, she just was one. I mean, Mm. she was like, wait a minute. She couldn't depersonalize us. And so she started to hear, you know, the gospel for the first time from us. And and my husband, I've been married for 36 years. So we've been trying for 36 Mm. years. And then I happened to be in her city and speaking and she came. And do you know, during the altar call, she was the very first person to come running down and mm. wept at the altar. But I she, I asked her later, why now? And she said, it's because you invited me into your home. So I love the theme of this messy table. I think we need to invite some people to our messy tables. Okay. And sometimes when they first come to our messy tables, then they'll come to our church. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times some people, they, they don't want to have conversations out in the open. But if you sit face to face, and that's what Jesus did just so good. He could speak to the masses, but he never neglected speaking to the one, speaking to the three, speaking to the five, speaking to the 12. And so I think it's really a crucial time period that we as women have those conversations. I I found it really disturbing that I feel like we're living these days that Paul warned Timothy about, where he talked about these are the ones who worm their ways into the house of weak-willed, vulnerable women who are taken captive by every new thing. And I thought, oh my gosh, I feel like right now that's kind of happening. Mm -hmm. And so we need to know who we have community with, Mm -hmm. real community, people that we care about, people we have to look at. And I I know you guys do that so well in your church, but I think there might be people listening that don't have what you guys have. And so I think they need to have intentional friendships with people that will ask them the questions they don't want to answer and tell them the things they don't want to hear. And then they need to be that friend. We all need that. Exactly. I mean, we have people that, you know, have been contracted to kill us if we do certain things. But but yeah, no, <laughs> so I, I just think there's something really powerful about reconnecting as community. Mm. I feel like there's just way too much depersonalization from social media. And I, you know, I'm thankful for social media. I love that I can post, but it's not my community. That's right. My real community is people who can see me and look me in the eyes. Lisa, you are amazing. And just thank you for the commitment that you have to both truth and grace. Thank you for your voice in this world. Thank you for reminding us today of so many important truths that we just desperately need to hear. So we just honor you and we're thankful for you. Thank you. It was a delight. Love you guys. Love you. All right, guys. Well, like I said before, we're giving away two copies of Lisa's new book, Adamant. To enter, simply tag three friends who might love this conversation, and you'll be entered to win. And if you want more information on the Adamant book, podcast, videos, check out IamAdamant.com. I'll have it linked up in the conversation notes at Gingel.com, where you can join my email list. You can also subscribe to The Messy Table for free with one click of a button in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and find us on Instagram at The Messy Table Podcast. Check out life.church slash sisters for even more resources. And remember this, no matter what you're facing this week, no matter what's going on in your life, it might be messy and it probably is, but God, your rock, your adamant, your anchor, God, your father is already there. He is at work.